Hello everybody, welcome back to Sports Council. I'm Matthew. And I'm Vivek. And today we are going to be highlighting some of the key moves in NBA Free Agency 2019. Let's start off with the early getters right now. Sunday, July 1st, we heard that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving would be signing with the Brooklyn Nets, both on four-year max deals. Um, Kyrie is going to be probably the starting point guard in replacement of former all-star D'Angelo Russell with the Nets, and KD, once he returns from his Achilles injury, will join him and expect the Nets to be heavy contenders, at least in the 2020 season. What do you see? What do you think of the move? Well, I believe this June 30th of this free agency, the first day where it began, when Woj announced that the pipeline dream of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving actually coalescing and deciding to join the Brooklyn Nets I believe that's a huge, huge asset and a huge, huge get for the Nets. I think it really places them into championship contention. Obviously, you have two all-NBA players that are perennial. These are guys that have gone to the finals multiple times, have proven their worth consistently over and over again as excellent players. And having both of them together in any team, in any way, shape, or form, already means that there's going to be a lot of success and a lot more of an advantageous position that they're going to be in. So, insofar as that, I do think that this is a great get. You know, they also took less money to sign on DeAndre Jordan for oh, four years, $10 million yeah. per year. And I think that's a good asset to get as well because I think that DeAndre Jordan has a lot to contribute as well. It's a very good big man who can run the pick and roll. So, I'm liking all of these moves that the Nets are doing. They are going to be contenders for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it was kind of weird at first seeing that we saw reports, obviously, of Kyrie and Katie wanting to play for, with each other for so long now, and we can go into a little bit further with that. It's kind of because both of these guys, they were looking for a home, it felt like. It felt like even though they both moved to separate teams a couple of times, with Kyrie going to, from Cleveland to Boston and Katie going from OKC to Golden State, even though they had a lot of success with both teams, um, it didn't really feel right, to, at least to them. We knew Kyrie wanted to leave early on. It was a little bit more questionable with KD, but the rumors were obviously there. And I think in Brooklyn, they're doing a little bit of soul searching. They're trying to find what they want. They're trying to find at least happiness while they're playing ball. These guys are like very obsessed with basketball. Ball is essentially life with them. And there's no doubt that their love for basketball like transcends all else. But they're just looking for a little bit more. I feel like they're both, yeah, they're both men in their late 20s and they're trying to look for something that's going to complete them in the NBA. And maybe Brooklyn will do that for them. It had, clearly has a culture and atmosphere that they could want. And it's a big city where they could be able to be stars still and marketable stars at that. And it remains to be seen whether or not they are able to bring a championship there. But they're immediately going to be loved there in Brooklyn. And... Um, it's a perfect destination, honestly, to start over again. So it's pretty interesting how they want to do this. And really the question to me right now is why Kevin Durant wants to leave and why KD wanted to leave from the perfect situation in Golden State, I felt like. And you and me, we talked about this just a week ago. We that did. we both thought that Kevin Durant would resign for the max amount of money. And a lot of a huge takeaway in this free agency is that you see these star players, they're willing to take less than the max amount of money sometimes that they could potentially get in order to go to a different destination. We'll get more into that later, but at the same time, um, what other than what I just said about the soul surgeon, why do you think KD left? 
Well, I think it's easy to come up with an answer that fits into a narrative in hindsight. Sure. And that's definitely possible with KD. But, but by all indications, I do believe that from what it seems, Kevin Durant obviously wanted to change the destination. Mm-hmm. I think he knew deep down that he could have kept up the status quo had he stayed in Golden State, gotten a lot of money, won, at least had been in contention for more rings in the future. But I do believe that there was a part of him that did want something else. Because let's face it, Golden State was a great basketball situation and monetary situation for him to play in. And I think that, you know, knowing the particular reason as to why he wanted to leave, that's something that you won't be able to answer particularly well unless you do know the person himself. Mm -hmm. And clearly none of us know KD, right? But what we can tell and what the facts that lay ahead of us have shown is that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and Yonah Jordan are all very good friends. The potential to win a championship with all those guys playing together, being in, in a completely different environment because KD and Kyrie are both East Coast guys. Mm-hmm. So having the ability to be closer to their native homes and also the possibility of just playing in the bright lights of New York City, those could have been factors as well. I do believe at the end of the day, I think that the, Net, the Nets had something that the Warriors didn't offer, and that's just the possibility for a fresh new start, a fresh new franchise exactly. that's going to become one of the top echelon guys in the league. And yeah, I think that's ultimately why he left, if anything, just the opportunity for change. Yeah, exactly. And now you see the Brooklyn Nets, they've been in some very bad places for the past couple of years. They've been in a bad stretch ever since that Billy King trade. And now heading into the next decade of NBA basketball, they may be in the upper echelon of the East, which is a good thing. But now let's shift focus towards another portion of the East. The Philadelphia 76ers, they had quite an eventful free agency in store for them, many of question marks along the way. And finally, they made their decisions. They opted to keep Tobias Harris for a five-year, $180 million deal. Um, to stay in Philadelphia. They let Jimmy Butler go in a sign-in trade to the Miami Heat for Josh Richardson. And um, I'm, not, I'm blanking on quite the others, but I'm pretty sure Kelly Olenek is involved as well. Um, and in the most surprising move, they signed Al Horford to a four-year deal worth a lot of money. So, you know, now they have an entirely new core of Simmons, um, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, and Joel Embiid. So now where do you see these Sixers heading forward? Do you think they're in the top echelon? The thing about the Sixers is that what they did when acquiring Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler was essentially mortgage their future to go into win-now mode. And what that basically meant was that whatever they acquired, they basically had to go all in on trying to keep them because obviously you don't want those assets to go to waste. So, with that being said, they did try and sign Butler to a max deal, but Butler actually did refuse. Hmm. So they did try to keep the core together first of all, but after Butler said no to that offer from Philly, he actually decided to go to a different team, and Miami was his preferred choice of free agency destination. Yeah, and I want to follow up on that. Why do you think he did that? Because I, I have a couple of theories in my own, but I want to hear yours. Sure. So I think this goes back to the KD question once again. 
and I believe that it's hard for us to have any of us philosophize or you know ruminate on what he wants to do in particular because once again these are personal decisions these guys are making Mm -hmm. for their own sake and we really don't have a vested interest in knowing what they're up to and what their needs and private wants are but what I can tell you though is that in previous interviews Butler has said particularly that wherever his friends and family want him to go he'll play so that could possibly be a factor into it Miami is no room destination for him because they do have a very work hard culture that Jimmy Butler does embrace. You know, you have Pat Riley, you have Coach Eric Spolstra. Mm-hmm. These guys are known for their insane workouts. They really treat every single player there and hold them incredibly accountable. You have a very work hard culture, and that's something that Jimmy Butler has wanted and complained about with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Exactly. So, in terms of culture, it seems like a very, very good fit for him. Hmm. And he does probably believe that they can build a championship team over there because according to private rumblings that have been said, the Heat have actually tried to acquire Bradley Beal and they've promised him that they're going to go all in on that sweepstakes once they sign Butler. Wow. Yeah, I have not heard of that one. But um, I did hear about like Miami, Jimmy Butler, he's been connected with them for quite a while he wanted to potentially demand a trade to go there when he was with the Timberwolves um it was a little bit confusing to me last time we spoke because I didn't see Miami as a potential destination for Butler because everything about Butler said to me that he wanted to win he just wanted to win and I felt like he he didn't want he wasn't able to get that with the Chicago Bulls so he went to the Timberwolves then he felt like Andrew Wiggins and Cat weren't enough for him, so he would have to go to the 76ers in order to win. And we discussed this last time, the allure and the potential that he had with the young 76ers core, it was had much so much more potential than any of the other past teams that he played with. So I thought he would be coming back. But now that he is going back to Miami, and I've heard a couple of things myself, it's just... He, apparently Butler talked a lot with Dwayne Wade about the potential of playing in Miami, and they said that Butler really was attracted to the way that the Miami fans and the Heat and the entire organization, how they sent off Dwayne Wade. A respected veteran, even though he left a couple of years ago and had a rough stretch, as some would imagine or say, and he still came back and was celebrated as a hero. And I think that's all Butler just really wants, honestly. He wants to be the man, first of all. He wants to be the guy who can deliver and win. But at the same time, he wants to be appreciated, at least. Don't we all, honestly? And I think that Miami is a perfect destination for that. And as you said, they don't give up on winning. They could have given up and started to rebuild and allow Wade to retire and while they could still get assets. But no, they kept trying to sign free agents. They keep on trying to recruit guys. Hell, Kevin Durant even tried to meet with them in 2016. They're always in on um, star free agents, and they're always in on players. They don't give up. They refuse to rebuild. And around Butler, with Butler, I think they still are trying to get a way to contend again under Pat Riley. So with the Sixers, right, going back to that point of contention, they did re-sign Tobias Harris, and that was an asset they wanted to keep. As per our last podcast we mentioned before, both sides were interested in a mutual reconnection in the deal. So they've re-inked for five years, $180 million. That's quite a lot of money for Harris. But also, 
they didn't commit a lot of money to an aging Al Horford. They did give him four years, I believe $120 million around that ballpark. This comes as a bit of a surprise because, as mentioned before, Horford was part of a team with the Boston Celtics that was at the beginning of last season, supposed to be in the championship mix easily with their young core and also with Kyrie. Yeah. So having Al Horford, Tobias Harris come back and then acquiring Josh Richardson for Jimmy Butler, those are all very big moves and that gives them a huge makeover in terms of their identity as a team. So my question for you is, where do you think their offensive and defensive potential lies next year? And with that being said, how do their championship odds potentially look? Or what do they do that can improve upon last year's team? Honestly, I think it's going to be a couple of growing pains with these current 76ers. And it's it's an obvious reason why, because they keep on changing the faces of their team, right? This is like at least the fourth core that Joel, um, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are going to have to run with. And this is the fourth kind of lineup that extreme lineup change that head coach Brent Brown is going to have to deal with and coach going forward. There's going to be a couple chemistry issues going forward, but I don't think it's going to be a huge concern. What I'm concerned about really is the signings of Horford and Harris. Um, I'm bullish on Tobias Harris right now. Five years, $180 million is a lot for a guy that I don't think he's ever made an all-star game, right? He's never had an all-star appearance. He has almost never averaged 20 points a game. He only had averaged 20 uh, points, 20.1 points a game in 55 games with the Clippers last year before he was traded to the 76ers, and then he saw his numbers dip, obviously because he was surrounded by more stars, but at the same time, I'm not sure he's worth the max yet. At least not now, but maybe he will because he's still young. He still has a lot of potential to grow inside the Philadelphia system. And everyone sees a lot of star potential in Harris, which is why everyone keeps trying to trade for him. But at the same time, I'm just not ready to... I'm just not convinced that he's the centerpiece of a championship caliber team. While Horford is old, and I'm not going to sugarcoat that, and you guys... Philadelphia just offered him a lot of money in order to be contenders, at least right now, because you're not paying Al Horford for the future of this team. The future is now. Trust the process and all that, right? You got Simmons, you got Embiid, and you've traded away the rest of your draft picks for a while. You need to start contending now, and the signing of Al Horford is the signal that Philadelphia is starting to contend now. And in all honesty, when you asked about their offense and defense, I think they're actually better. They're probably better because they're a much more balanced team, I think. You, yeah, you got rid of Redick and you got rid of Butler because, and those guys, Redick provides a lot of three-point shooting and spacing offensively, and Butler's pretty good two ways. But at the same time, you get Josh Richardson, he's a good two-way player, and now you have Horford, he's a great passer. He can space the floor as well. Great defensive Not on player, too. Yeah, and a great defensive player, too. I think... They're probably a better core, probably, but for right now. And at least they still have Simmons, Harris, and Embiid to build upon for the future. Horford is a win-now move, but I think they can actually still... They sacrificed a lot, but at the same time, they're contenders right now and for the future. And honestly, I think they're in the top echelon of the East, and I think they're probably going to be the top seed, assuming that the Bucks fall off a little bit. I do think that what the Sixers have done 
is that they've put themselves in championship contention right now. And the reason why I say that is pretty much echoing off everything you've said. I think they're much more balanced offensively. But the defensive potential of this team is projected, looking based on all the pedigrees that these players have acquired in the past, at least puts them in top five defensive status. Hmm. And the reason why I say that is because all of these guys, if you look at their lengths, their wingspans, they're all extremely large people. <laughs> yeah, they're all above like at least six, 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 seven. Okay. That's really, really big. And also, they're all notorious defenders. Ben Simmons is very, very oversized for a point guard. Yeah. And then Josh Richardson, like you said before, a great two-way player. And Harris is probably the weak link of this defensive team. Okay. But his wingspan and his ability to disrupt the passing lanes has been shown in the past. So I do have some hope holding out over there. I do think that with this team, this is going to be the core going forward for the next four years. Okay. And I think Philly fans and every fan has to realize that this is their moment now. There aren't going to be any more iterations of this team going forward. They can only add small pieces and veterans here and there. But what you see right now is what they're going to get. This is going to be the team they're going to try and contend with. And so I do believe that having a good starting five is paramount to potentially getting out of the East. Yeah. And this is, like you said, very balanced. There's a lot of scoring potential on this team. Anyone can be a threat and everyone can support each other. And remember, this is contingent on Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid getting better. Exactly. And they're going to get better. They're very young players. Joel Embiid has proven that he can be one of the most dominant players in the league when completely healthy. I think Ben Simmons, personally, is a jump shot away from being one of the league's <laughs> top that's, players. That's a big jump shot, yeah. It's a big ask for him. <laughs> but if he's able to make that leap, because don't get me wrong, he's a great player right now, mm-hmm. as it is. He's very, very talented, but it's all contingent on those two guys, you know, being the star players they can be. And if they can do that, I think this is a very, very scary team to look out for. Yeah, they're definitely young stars right now. Um, and you kind of want to see Simmons develop a little bit more as a pure point guard. He needs to shoot a little bit better. Right now, he needs to shoot at all. Right, I'm guessing from everyone, everyone giving him that criticism that he needs to be shooting more. I'm sure he's heard of the criticisms at this point because two postseasons in a row, everyone basically talking about it. It has to kind of be drilled into your mind at some point. Yeah, I think they just need a little bit more experience, and Simmons needs to develop his jump shot, or else he's never going to be able to lead the team towards contention, to towards true contention at least. If you can be easily game planned against, you're, it's not going to be a good. You're not going to have a good time going into the playoffs. That's but all. Th- that's all I'm worried about right this now. This team didn't make it to seven games against the Raptors. Yeah, and they can only go up from here. I do believe. Okay. Um. Okay. Now here comes the big news right now because a lot of the biggest news just came about around I'd say twenty four hours ago. It was reported by Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports that Kawhi Leonard has finally decided on his destination and it was not as we suspected. It was the LA Clippers for four years, $141 million. And it gets better for LA fans, at least for Clippers fans, because just a couple minutes after that, it was reported that Oklahoma City star forward Paul George was traded to the Los Angeles Clippers 
for a boatload of draft picks plus two players, Shai Gilgis Alexander and Daniel Gallinari, the Clippers. And now you got you went from zero superstars to two in the city of LA. None of them in the Lakers right now. And basically the Clippers just went from a fringe contender to a championship contender overnight. It was insane. You saw, we were in the same car, basically, when we heard the news, and I just lost my mind. I just lost my mind for that. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy times. Yeah, and the Clippers have essentially vaunted themselves as the West team to beat with this move. The fact of the matter is they've been able to keep a lot of their depth, but they were able to acquire the two max players that they've been paying for this entire time last season. And it's crazy to me, right? Because the Clippers have basically been in Kawhi, been in love with Kawhi for a long time. You know, you see Dr. Rivers of the Tampering Commons, <laughs> you see like the Clippers at 75% of the Raptors games, according yeah. to Brian Windhorst of ESPN. So this has been a move that's been in the works. And from what reports have indicated, according to Walsh once again, Kawhi did say that he would go to the Clippers if and only if they acquired a second star. And Kawhi was able to convince Paul George to leave OKC. And OKC had to pin together a deal overnight, essentially, to try and ship him off to the Clippers. And while I do think that the Kawhi to Clippers move was surprising, I think the real shocker here is how he managed to finesse Paul George exactly. all the way from Oklahoma City Jeez. to LA where he wanted to go last season before signing with the OKC Thunder again. It's incredible because a lot of what, uh, because Paul George, the last time he was traded it was very secretive and it came out of nowhere and it happened again this time. Both common factors involve Paul George and the OKC front office. So we can suspect that OKC's front office is pretty secretive. At the same time, it's just, it's a complete shocker because it seemed like Paul George was committed for the long term in Oklahoma City. He literally just announced, we have unfinished business here in OKC. Well, I guess that business is finished for Russell Westbrook. Um, he went, he just demanded a trade out of his four-year deal and he went to LA. It's crazy. But it's also a little bit sketchy at the same time. And here's my opinion on that. Because, you know, we've all, we've kind of criticized sometimes, at least I have, LeBron recruiting AD from the shadows to join him in Los Angeles and join the Lakers, and AD eventually demanded a trade with his new agent, Rich Paul, to go to Los Angeles. And it became a huge, like, circus show, and basically, it eventually happened with AD getting his wishes. And fans were furious, people didn't like the way that it was handled and all that. But now you have the exact same thing. I feel like that's the exact same thing that just happened. And it might be even worse. I don't think so, personally. But Paul George literally just signed his deal a year ago. And Kawhi Leonard was able to tamper him out of it and get convince him to get out of his contract with OKC and push himself to go to LA. And OKC knew that they'd continue to lose trade leverage as long as he made his, public, his comments more public as time grew on. So they would have to trade him to the Clippers eventually, or they would have to trade him anyway, because he was not satisfied anymore. He wanted out. And 
It's exact. It's exactly the same thing that LeBron just did with AD. Now Kawhi just did it with Paul George. He just did it a little bit more quietly. So if you are gonna hate the way that AD got to LA, you have to hate the way Paul George was able to get out of his contract. It's just. It's the exact same thing. I'm not saying that you should hate on Paul George or Kawhi Leonard for this, or you should hate on anybody here, because player movement, I'm all about that. But at the same time, if you are going to hate the way AD handled himself, then Paul George deserves some hate, too. I do think that with Paul George, it was going to be a situation that leaked itself eventually. Mm -hmm. So, actually, according to Woj, once again, insider sources, and this news hadn't been leaked until... He got traded. Yeah. Paul George and Russell Westbrook have been in disagreements and have been at odds for a while, especially no after the loss to Portland mm-hmm. and the way that they went down. Yeah. So there was always going to be some sort of strife over there mm-hmm. with the recent you know, w- waves and movements where the players demand where they go and it being a player-centered league. It was only bound to be a certainty of time before something like this, of this magnitude happens. So inherently, in this day and age, I don't know. I don't really know if there can be blame at this point because when everyone has basically jumped off the cliff and, you know, dived into the ocean or or say, of basically just going all in on a super team era, you really have no choice but to jumpsuit and follow as well because the only true way for contention is sad to say when everyone groups together and forms large teams that have a lot of depth but are led by superstar power. And really, what better situation can you really get that than the Clippers? Because you have Kawhi Leonard, reigning finals MVP, two-time defensive player of the year, and has won before with the, with two different franchises. Mm-hmm. I think that in of itself is incredible. But you have two sixth men of the year fin- finalists in Montrezl Harrell and Lou Williams as their bench guys. And then you have other great assets as well on the team that start for you too. So this is a great situation for Paul George. He knew, I bet, or he had some sort of you know notion in the back of his mind that him and Westbrook have gone all the way together. It wasn't enough against Portland. So how could they retool and basically be a championship contender if they weren't able to get out as far as they did? Yeah, and you can argue actually that maybe Paul George did the Thunder service because at least he didn't leave in free agency and leave him with nothing, right? Even Kevin Durant, we would cover later that he agreed to a signing trade instead of just a signing with the Nets, right? Yeah. So maybe it is better in a sense that maybe AD did the Pelicans' service, allowed them to rebuild with trades. They got and, a whole of assets too. Yeah, and so did the Thunder. So maybe it is a good thing, but it's a bad thing for, I guess, people who want to see contract commitment. And because now it goes both ways. You know that teams don't honor commitments to contracts. We've all known this for many years now. And now players are starting to not do the same thing. They're saying, okay, if you're not going to commit to a contract for the entire length, maybe I won't either. Yeah. So we're seeing an all-new kind of NBA. We're seeing it evolve even more. Player movement has gone to a complete degree where not even signed players are a sure thing and it's crazy to believe but let's talk more about the Clippers because you're right in the sense that they I'm pretty sure that they have a better chance than the Lakers right now because first of all you have your star talent now you need star talent you need defensive prowess you need experience and you need a bench we just saw last year that the Warriors were struggling 
to face the Kawhi-led Raptors because they had no bench, they had no depth, and the injuries just made things a whole lot worse. And the fact of the matter is, LA up until this point literally had like four players signed. And they needed a bench, but they went all in on Kawhi, and now they're scrambling to make moves, and we'll discuss that a little later. But with Kawhi on board, and most of the depth intact because they had two max contract slots even without having to sign anybody or having to get any like move anybody for cash right and then they were able to get paul george for mainly draft picks and not a lot of players right they had to get rid of shagildas alexander and daniel galinar but that's really not that important when you have paul freaking george right so now you have two star players and you have a boatload of depth and you still have patrick beverly at the point guard position He's a dog defensively. He's a perfect kind of 3D guy to complement both George and Leonard, who are both two-way players at that. So it's incredible what they did. And honestly, their depth alone, I think, makes them the championship contenders to compete for. And the Clippers, and there's a lot of winners this offseason right now, but honestly, I think LA Clippers, the Clippers are the true winners. They are the absolute running away with it no one comes close because look (laughs) they went from nothing to something in the span of 12 hours it really five minutes at that because paul george and Kawhi just it agreed to it so fast and it all came together clippers fans should be overjoyed all six of them and you know it's a great day to be a clippers fan it's incredible they really pulled it off and acquired basically the best two two-way players in the league and I think that is just absolutely commendable and I like I said before it's their Western Conference you know championship to lose at the very least I think that what they've done once again they've put themselves as number one favorites right now mm-hmm. time will only tell you know some questions to think about are the fact that um both players that have been aforementioned, you know, PG and Kawhi, have had their share of injury problems in the oh, past. Yeah. But the depth can also be something that kind of covers for it. I don't know what their backup wing situation is right now, mm-hmm. but that's something to think about as well. And also load management, the questions about how they treat Kawhi over the regular season. Because also, the Toronto Raptors did have depth to cover for Kawhi. Yeah. They won a lot of games without him. We have to see for sure if the Clippers are able to do that. But one thing's for sure, at their very peak, I do believe that the Clippers are a great, great team on paper, and they're going to be very, very good for years to come. Jerry West, man, Jerry West, he's he's remarkable. No other executive like him. Um, yeah, and you gotta just real quick. Let's look at the starting lineup real quick because we have Beverly Landry Shamet, who is an incredible shooter last last year in the playoffs especially you got George you got Leonard and you got EVJ Zubac at the center position I'm a little worried about that center position but that's really I mean we just saw with the Warriors for the past couple of years the center position is getting a little bit more devalued but <laughs> yeah it's incredible what they were able to accomplish but now let's look on the other side of the stable center the Lakers they came out as the losers of the Kawhi Leonard sweepstakes along with the Raptors but at the same time, they would they have a thirty-two million dollar uh, cap situation that they had to burn. So they went out and signed Quinn Cook to a two-year, six million dollar deal last night. They signed Javale McGee back 
with the I believe with four million dollars per year. Um, they signed Demarcus Cousins, and they signed Rajon Rondo back. So um, oh and yeah, they got the go Jared Dudley. Yeah, um, <laughs> biggest creation acquisition by far. Honestly, he recruited LeBron. It wasn't the other way around. But now, what do you see with the Lakers' recent moves? What do you think of them? I think that the Lakers, at the very least, are going to play in the playoffs next year. I'll oh, tell yeah. you that. Oh, yeah. And also Danny Green. I also And, and Danny, Danny Green, Green. too. <laughs> yeah. So, I know a lot of people are very critical about the Lakers for not landing Kawhi. And first of all, I will say that the Lakers and Kawhi were almost looking like a done deal at mm-hmm. one point yeah. by like Sunday or Monday of this week people were saying oh it's basically done you see multiple sources basically confirm that and they gave it their best shot you know if you have an opportunity to land Kawhi there's no shame in losing because yeah. they definitely did the best they could do they went all in on it they basically stalled selling anyone else and made Kawhi their absolute priority and look Toronto did the same thing too you gotta give credit where credit's due if the Lakers pulled that trio off that easily would have been probably one of the greatest super teams of all time. Yeah, I and was very worried. <laughs> it was incredibly worrisome. That front court would have looked absolutely unstoppable at your peak. So, yeah, with that being said, I think a more holistic look at the Lakers offseason. I really like the AD trade. I think that Anthony Davis is going to be a great, great player for them to come because, you know, LeBron will only be on the Lakers for three more seasons. I think Anthony Davis has proven himself to be a franchise caliber player with the Pelicans, and I do think that he is ready for more championships to come, or like at least some sort of contention to be occurring on a serious level. And him and LeBron will be a really, really good duo. Obviously, I think Kawhi and Peachy are looking like you know the more trendy option because of their two-way potential and LeBron being a bit old. But don't get me wrong, AD is an incredible player. LeBron's an incredible player. They're going to be just fine. And I really like the moves they made with Danny Green. I think Danny Green, he shot basically 48% from deep. And wow. he was a great defensive player for them too. He was basically one of the best wing defenders they had. Top one, top two, along with Kawhi. Mm-hmm. So that's an incredible asset. The Lakers always need shooting around LeBron. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it always will be. And so I like the moves to get Danny Green, Quinn Cook, and Troy Daniels. These are guys that have basically slashed at least 45% from the three-point line last season. And they proved themselves to be good shooters. If LeBron drives and kicks, that should be a pretty good shot for them to drain the three. So I like that move by them. I think that, you know, bringing it back in Rondo and JaVale McGee are also good things too. Because they were probably their two best bench players on the Lakers last season. JaVale played incredibly well in the limited amount of time he did play. And Rondo, at his best, you know, he, he knows how to make some plays, man. Yeah. So I really do think that the Lakers aren't complete losers. Obviously, you want to land Kawhi, but the Lakers will make the playoffs next year and at least be around the mix for championship contention. I'm not going to count out LeBron because LeBron Never has can. proved himself and he's earned, I think, a lot of people's respect. I'm one of those people, and I think AD is a great player, so... I do think that it's going to be a great crosstown rivalry, and I think this is it at its peak. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Lakers fans, don't sell yourself short because you got two of probably the best superstars in the league. Just because you couldn't get that third superstar, 
it's not the offseason was not a waste. So Getting you got AD is a win. you got Anthony freaking Davis. He is a legit superstar on his own. He was able to show that he could lead a Pelicans team to relevance, and now he's when paired with healthy, like, yeah. yeah. Now he's paired with probably the greatest player in the world right now, in LeBron. So don't sell yourself short. You guys got a great team, and at the same time, um, I do think that because you they waited so long on LeBron. I mean, not LeBron, but Leonard. That it. The free agency market dried up. They weren't able to sign guys like Seth Curry or the guys like that who do indeed kind of wing players or shooters, right? But they still were able to get Danny Green, who was waiting on Kawhi Leonard's decision, and he's a remarkable three and D guy himself. And they were able to get Quinn Cook. He's a good shooter. Even Demarcus Cousins, who is still out there, he can provide a couple of like at least points off the bench, which he probably will be at uh, moving forward. And the Lakers rectified their mistake a cut a year ago when they tried to surround LeBron with a bunch of guys who didn't shoot and weren't like were really good fits with LeBron like Lance Stevens well like JaVale McGee Tyson Chandler guys like that and Rondo but they re-signed him but he's still a serviceable option as a backup point guard but now they got Quinn Cook they still have Kyle Kuzma and they still have guys like who can still shoot moving forward so, you know, it's not a huge loss. And they re-signed Contavious Caldwell Pope. We also forgot to mention that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Him too, KCP, and Danny Green. So, it's not a lost offseason, for sure. Um, not, not signing Leonard doesn't make the Lakers, like, super definitive favorites. And that's a good thing, honestly. Because, think about it, Kawhi Leonard essentially just brought parity back into this modern NBA. Even though with all the player movement, all the trades, all the free agent signings everywhere. And this is a huge free agency season for superstars like Durant, Thompson, Kemba, Kyrie, all of those guys. But at the same time, the league has never looked more balanced as it's ever been. Because look, now you've got a lot of dynamic duos. You've got um, you got LeBron and AD, first of all. You got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George forming new super teams in LA. And now you got Curry Thompson, the Splash Bros, for sure. Still, you got returning J- Chris Paul and James Harden. You still got CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard up in uh, Portland. Simmons and Embiid, Giannis and Middleton, Luca and Kristaps Porzingis. They should be on the rise soon. Murray and Jokic, etc. You know, you got all these dynamic duos. They all have a chance at a championship. You don't know who is like the definitive favorite. It's not as yeah. like close as the Warriors always being like, okay, it's going to be the Warriors. It's inevitable at that point. The Warriors were inevitable. And listen, it's not just about the duos, right? I think all these teams acquired an immense amount of depth. Every one of those duos that you mentioned have at least a serviceable third guy. Like an underrated move, for example, could be, you know, Portland acquiring Hassan Whiteside or Utah, for example, acquiring Mike Conley and also getting Bojan Bojanovic. So I think all around the league, there's a lot of great players that are on all these teams, and the duos are well complemented. I think in the future that the West will be really, really competitive. There's going to be great basketball all around, and a lot of these teams have the potential to pop off. Exactly. So let's move on and let's discuss the rulers of the NBA for the past couple of years, and I gleefully say that the Golden State Warriors. Uh, they had quite the eventful free agency of their own, right? Some of it good, some of it bad. Unfortunately, they heard the news that Kevin Durant would be signing with the Brooklyn Nets on the first day of free agency at around 3 p.m. 
and um, that was obviously very sad for Warriors fans. But at the same time, they were able to retain Clay Thompson for a five-year, $190 million max deal, as well as um, re-sign Kevon Looney. But the more shocking news was actually that later in the first day of free agency that the Warriors were able to sign and trade for Nets star point guard D'Angelo Russell. Um, they gave him the four-year, $114 million max deal. And in order to make room for that deal, they had to trade fan favorite and six-man Andre Iguodala to the Memphis Grizzlies along with a first-round pick in the late 2020s. So there's a lot to process here going forward. And um, as a Warriors fan myself, I was a little bit confused. And more importantly, I was shocked by this thing. I was always worried about where D'Angelo Russell was signing. I wasn't exactly worried myself, but I was worried for the team that would have to sign him, which became the Warriors. In my opinion right now, I think D'Angelo Russell is a little bit overrated. He was a first-time All-Star in the Eastern Conference, which is a notoriously weaker talent-wise conference, and he was easily the first option for a Nets team that was deficient in talent to say the least. He made the best out of a bad situation, and he was able to thrive there, and I really respect that. I think it's commendable. At the same time, there's a lot of flaws still in his games that we need to look out for. He is a negative defender that he's gonna be, that's going to be hard to hide, especially when he has to play alongside Stephen Curry, and now that he has to defend bigger and stronger shooting guards, because it is expected that D'Angelo Russell will be playing the shooting guard position while Curry still plays point guard. Um, specifically, instinct-wise, Russell still has a hard time helping off a man. He opts to defend a very bad three-point shooter instead of just helping at the rim, right? It's little stuff like that that needs to be fixed within his defensive game. And while he does possess the size and strength and the potential, like, at least he has the frame in order to defend, it's, right now it's a mental thing. So that's a big thing. And at the same time, he has, still has trouble finishing at the rim, especially shooting on his right side. D'Angelo is a notorious lefty. And Philadelphia was able to expose that kind of um, offensive ability within him. Simmons exclusively guarded him on his left and forced him to go right and take really con tough contested shots. And he finished with his lowest total since March in that playoff game alone. So he still has trouble finishing at the rim. He is a ball-dominant guard that really doesn't fit within the Warriors' motion offense as it currently stands because he is notoriously successful at the pick-and-roll. That is his main method of success with the pick-and-roll. He's been able to run that a lot with the Knicks. Actually, he runs it at a staggering 11.4 possessions per game at a 50% frequency, which is the second most to all-star Kemba Walker but it's actually almost more than the entire Warriors team in the entire season last season. So that is a staggering amount from D'Angelo Russell alone. And he would really need to possess the ball a lot in order to be successful, at least as it stands. So there's, those are a couple of negatives that I see in D'Angelo's game right now. Um, I still think that he is a young prospect. He's only 23. He was able to lead a dismal Brooklyn Nets team to their first playoff appearance in the last four years. And he was the undisputed leader and star of that team. There's no chemistry issues as it currently stands, at least in Brooklyn. And he's a remarkable three-point shooter. He can play off the ball because just because he can create his own shot and he can shoot it at a very high rate, right? He can shoot it at a very high clip 
and the Warriors are deficient of shooting outside of Curry and Thompson. But at the same time, I really need to see a lot more consistency and, of course, evolution in D'Lo's game because, specifically on defense and, again, finishing at the rim and continuing to just evolve offensively. He just needs to be a little bit better. He needs to show a little bit more consistency after one season before I start singing his praises. That's all I'm saying right now. So, I believe that with D'Angelo Russell, I think we need to clear up the notion on one thing, first of all, and that's this. It was either to acquire D'Angelo Russell or get absolutely nothing. That's true. And so the Warriors were basically over the cap. They weren't going to be able to sign anyone over it. And basically, the Nets gave KD, and Nets and KD, they gave the Warriors a gift with D'Angelo Russell Mm -hmm. because they were able to recuperate and get some sort of value back. Because remember, the Nets and KD both had to mutually agree to giving D'Angelo Russell back to the Warriors. Yeah. In return, they weren't going to be able to sign a guy of his pedigree anytime soon based on their cap situation. I mean, we just we signed Clay Thompson to the max, mm-hmm. so this wouldn't have been possible otherwise. Yeah. And so just in if that itself, we were able to acquire tremendous value and, and a tremendous asset for losing potentially, or basically our best player, our best overall player in Kevin Durant. So I think that in if itself should be a win more than anything. Mm-hmm. Now, on to your points about talking more specifically about him being overrated and underrated. Sure. I think that's an optics issue that has definitely blown up his value. Like, I will grant the fact that DeAndre Russell was able to make it into the All-Star for a couple of factors. The first which being an injury to a previous All-Star. I believe it was John Wall. I'm not too sure about I, that. I did not know So, that. he was he basically got into the last second. The second thing, though, was that he had an incredibly hot January and December that rose his stock up by a lot. So he was performing incredibly well around then, and that compounded with his previous hype as a number two overall player being drafted in that draft, that added up and compounded into making him the all-star he is. But I will say this, though, about DeAndre Russell. This season is an indication for where I believe he can't perform as a player. Steve Kerr wants to run more of a pick-and-roll offense. He notoriously used less and less of it as the Warriors, you know, progressed over the past three years. It was probably... Especially with KD. Especially with KD. They ended a historically low amount of times. Like, back in 2015-2016, Steph and Draymond pick-and-rolls were the norm of that team, along Mm -hmm. with the ball movement. If the play basically fell apart, they resorted to a Steph and Drake PNR. And that always be one of your most successful plays that ran in the playbook. Exactly. So having Kerr run back to that old style potentially, and having D'Lo maybe be the guy, and I think Willie Cauley-Stein, his signing, he's a notorious pick-and-roll guy, that could be an indication that goes back to the roots of a pick-and-roll style offense, mm-hmm. which could be good because, you know, ball movement with smaller guys could be a bit harder to pull off too because they need a good amount of space and wingspan to basically switch off on defense because the trade-off is when you do a ball movement offense and have small guys, you have to switch really, really well on defense and that's usually harder to do with smaller players. So that in of itself, I think that a stylistic shift is needed for the Golden State Warriors. D'Lo could be a good indication of that. Granted, if they choose to do ball motion and off-ball movements, I think DeAndre Russell has proven himself to be a good three-point shooter. I do agree with you that there are questions about whether or not he can pull that off, yeah. but based on the work ethic and the essentially the pedigree that he developed, because his growth over the past two years with the Nets has been astounding. 
he went from a completely immature person with the Lakers who didn't really know how to play any style other than being selfish to basically averaging nearly 20 and 7. So overall, I do think that this is a good trade and they made something out of nothing. There's going to be fundamentally different stuff Warriors ball play. So I'm excited for that era. I think this is what needed to be done. Yeah, and you're absolutely right there because honestly, I think there needs to be a change in Steve Kerr's offensive system and the fact that he probably signed off on this D'Angelo Russell signing trade means that he is ready to evolve the new Warriors offense, the new new Warriors offense. And you're absolutely right in the sense that the Dubs at least made something out of nothing. They weren't going to get a player of KD's caliber. There's pretty much no one other than maybe Kawhi that would be able to get a player of KD's caliber, right? There was no one on the market at least that the Warriors could even feasibly get. So getting D'Angelo Russell was probably a huge positive because they made something out of nothing. That's absolutely right. And I love the fact that he is young. He's only 23 years old. And even though I want to see some more consistently consistency before I can name him more of a star, he has a lot of time to prove it, especially now that he's here for the next four years, potentially, right? He has a lot of potential to grow. He's already an incredible shooter, a dynamic scorer, and he has proven himself on Brooklyn. Now he has a chance to get into an even better system with probably better coaching, and he has a chance to play with two legit superstars in Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, as well as Draymond Green. So there's a lot to like in the fact that D'Angelo Russell is coming, and I think he makes the Warriors better. Better than they were without KD, basically. And the fact of the matter is, yes, you should expect a fundamentally different kind of Warriors team next season. The Warriors have certainly been moving towards a kind of youth movement, really, because they signed Willie Cauley-Stein and as well as forward Glenn Robinson III. Both guys are in their mid-20s, they're young, they're ready to compete, and they're ready, and it's just the average age of the Warriors has dramatically been reduced. I don't remember. I don't know the exact age. Steph Curry is the only guy above thirty. That is incredible. Yeah, yeah. he is the only one, and he's still in his prime. He's, he's still in his prime. 30, Thirty-one turning thirty-two soon. Yeah, he's still in his prime, and the fact of the matter is because they trade Simon trade for D'Angelo Russell now, even though Clay Thompson will be out for until at least February with his ACL injury, the Warriors front office is saying no. We're not gonna rebuild now, even though. A lot of signs point to it. No, we're not going to rebuild just because KD left and Clay's hurt and Steph is aging. No, we're ready to still contend. We're still willing to compete. And we're signing and trading D'Angelo Russell, a potential superstar, in order to make this happen, right? They don't want to quit right now. They're not ready to quit. They want to win. And, uh, you know, Joe Lacob's not willing to make his investment in the Chase Center go for nothing, right? They have to sell tickets. And D'Lo and Steph... It should be a fun show to watch, honestly. The thing is that they continue to take the approach of talent over depth right now. And we see this because they got a potential all-star in D'Lo, and they still haven't gotten any depth, especially because the signing trade would hard cap them. They've really had a hard time finding depth. They were able to sign Willie Colley sign and Glenn Robinson, and then they re-signed Kevon Mooney, which is a huge addition back, right? But at the same time, that bench is even weaker than it was before. Now Quinn Cook is gone. Now Andre Iguodala, your guy on the bench, is gone. And Sean Livingston is expected to go soon. So you've really lost a lot more bench than you've ever had before. Right. And at the same time, 
you have made yourself a more your team is now basically a three guard system, right? You have Curry, you have D'Lo, and you have Thompson, who will now probably play small forward because he's has a size for that. He's, he's six seven, so yeah. he's probably gonna be able to have to match up with the guys. Yeah, in the that's, position. Exactly, but at the same time, I'm worried about that. Even though he has that length, right? And that's and, a big ask too, because he's coming out of the NACL injury. Exactly. Yeah. So just to ask him to be able to do such a thing could be very very strenuous on him at this point of time. Yeah. But no matter what, what's certain is that we can definitely say for sure that the Warriors aren't waving the white flag just yet and going all in on their youth movement, you know, drafting the three rookies, Eric Paschal, Jordan Poole, and then, you know, just going forward with the fact that they're going towards a more younger system and a different style of play where they potentially just eschew the bomb movement type of style for more pick and rolls or playing a smaller guard most of our guards last time we saw that was Monte Ellis and <laughs> Stephen Curry yeah so the offense will definitely be more dynamic the defense will be certainly a bit problematic here and there because the size from what it seems to be just really isn't there quite yet it's just hard to compete because right now in the age of really superstar forwards right now you got LeBron, KD, Kawhi and Paul George they're all playing they're all incredible they're all at an MVP caliber and it's really hard to compete when you don't have that same forward. When you don't have any forward right now that's even starting caliber, that's that's incredibly tough because your best options are maybe Alfonso McKinney or uh, Glenn Robinson the third. So it's a little. That's the most challenging thing I see with the Warriors. I wanted them to get a couple of three and D forwards or guys or just like forwards at all, either through the draft or through free agency. But they decided to go with the youth movement, which is great. But that lack of wings that really concerns me moving forward. Right, and what comes up must go down in some particular way. I mean, obviously KD is the ultimate insurance policy and asset every team would love to have. And the past five years, like I've been saying over and over again, those were years that everyone would really treasure right now. But going forward, it's just super gratifying to see that the team is waving the white flag, they're willing to compete in the future, and they're still within the mix of making noise in the playoffs and at least going decently far at the very least. You know, you still got Steph Curry, you still got Klay Thompson, hopefully stay healthy by the time he gets back into the playoffs, by all indications he might be, and you still have Draymond Green. So those three people were the guys that led them in 2015. It's a championship core. It's a championship core to improve in, and with D'Lo, who knows where that can happen. Yeah, and so we're going to wrap it up right here. Um, thanks for tuning in. Thank you, and thanks for listening. We hope you have a good day, and as always, keep tuned into sports.